Welcome to The Pottest Couple. I'm Alan Henry. And I'm Matt Tiamanini. On this podcast, we're going to talk to you about what we love about the theater. And I think what's going to make this podcast extra special is we're going to talk to your favorite Broadway celebrities about what they love about the theater as well. We have a very special guest today. She's royalty, in fact. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some things we're excited for that are coming up. And I think the first one we're going to talk about is Rent Live, which officially has an air date on Fox, which is going to be Sunday, January 27th, 2019. Uh, as soon as we broke the news earlier today, we saw a lot of interesting comments on social media. Right, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Um, here, here's the thing, Alan, as you know, and as some maybe some of the listeners know, I host, a, I do a lot of podcasting, like hundreds of episodes uh, a year. This one is going to be different because we're not going to talk about things that normally show up on uh, on on theater podcasts. We're going to let it a little fast and loose. We're going to talk about some things and share some opinions that uh, might not jive with the normal, well-constructed, polished stuff that you hear in a lot of podcasts. And this is one of those things here, Alan. I think a lot of people are concerned based off of especially Fox's not live, but taped Rocky Horror Picture Show that this thing is going to be Rent Light or maybe the high school version of Rent that that MTI puts out. It's going to be a sanitized version. I think they have a pretty decent reason to be concerned. Uh, I don't know that that'll happen, but I think there's there's cause for concern here. Well, I mean, my thinking here is that, you know, there's a lot, I will say, worse things on TV and probably even Fox oh, yeah. uh, than, than most of the stuff in Rent. And I I understand why the people are concerned after Rocky Horror, uh, which was, of course, a Kenny Ortega project who directed High School Musical. Yes, uh, but, so I think, but also Dirty Dancing. He also did Dirty Dancing. So don't say, like, Kenny well, Ortega, I mean, those, like, he's those, awful. Like, those are significantly far apart in his, I mean, in terms of, like, his recent TV stuff. Okay, fair. You know, High School Musical is, like, I think the best point of reference for people when, you know, when you mentioned Kenny Ortega, like, you know, he was working on the Michael Jackson It Tour as well, Rest which of peace. course never came to fruition. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that's sort of the jumping off point when, you know, we look at his live TV, or not live, but his TV musicals, because of course, Rocky Horror was not live, like High School Musical was not live. But this project is being produced by Mark Platt, who of course, you know, is one of the producers on Wicked, and his son is uh, Ben Platt from Dear Evan Hansen. I think uh, that, you know, there's a certain amount of expertise there that he'll probably know that people aren't going to want to tune into a sanitized and, – and by sanitized, I mean just, you know, a version of Rent that misses the mark on what the message of Rent is. There's a joke in the – when you sang Missing the Mark that I could connect to my least favorite song in the show, but I'm going to avoid it. Um, but that's one of the things that I think people are concerned about them eliminating is contact. And I've told you that uh, I said it on Twitter even before this stuff came out um, last week when you asked what everybody's favorite thing about Rent was. I said everything except for contact. I I started listening to that CD, and I, yes, I'm old enough to have had the, the double CD. And every single time I'd listen to it, I would skip track nine on disc two because contact was awful and it 
just just made me feel weird so i so i skipped it how are they going to do that song if they do it on on fox yes there is plenty of things on the fox network that has you know sexual connotations and has drug use and has murder which there's not obviously in rent but there's a difference between doing it in a musical and doing it on a 60 minute procedural police drama you know i i i I mean i'm optimistic because mark platt knows how to do musicals both on screen and stage i mean he's one of the producers on la la land which just won a boat ton of of academy awards but i you know there's there's just a fine line between doing rent well and doing it poorly and i just have to wonder if the fox executives will overrule mark platt when he's trying to put the finished product on tv what my sort of thinking here is that first of all i know that through talking to a lot of people that are familiar with the situation, that the Jonathan Larson estate, which is managed by his parents to this day, are very protective of the work specifically. Uh, Mm -hmm. And speaking specifically to contact, I know one of the things they had authorized when MTI came to them and said, you know, we want to make the show slightly more appropriate for high schools to be able to do, is that they agreed that that number could be skipped over in that version. And I have to agree with them. It's not you know, and, and with you, it's not one of my favorites. And I understand, you know, the purpose that it serves in the stage show. But do I think that rent cannot be coherently expressed without it? No, I think that that's a relatively safe choice to make. And I'm sure that, you know, his parents, of course, were consulted and involved in the decision to do a live version of rent on TV. I think a lot of sort of the rent fear is Maybe, you know, a little bit in respect to the movie, uh, which, of course, you know, wasn't necessarily very sanitized, but a lot of people felt was not. I mean, here's my thing. I I love Rent, and I'm happy any time that, you know, a musical about 90s and the AIDS crisis is, you know, being done anywhere. Because I think these are important conversations we need to have, uh, not only, you know, to discuss issues that are brought up in the show, but to sort of look at progress and, you know, where we have progressed and also that maybe we haven't really gone forward that much. Alan, you know what would have helped ex- ex- express those things that you just talked about, talking about this AIDS crisis that happened in the 90s and, and advancing that and bringing it to light? You know what would have made that stuff even better? What? If if the movie of Rent didn't suck. If, if the movie itself was good then I think those conversations would have been had even more than they already were. Rent, if you listen to one of my 97 other podcasts, Some Like a Pop, you will know that Rent is my favorite musical. And that movie was, in my opinion, sacrilege compared to the show itself. And look, I love the OBC. Love the OBC. I, I could listen to Jesse L. Martin sing the reprise of I'll Cover You in a loop for the rest of my life. But look, they were all pushing 40 when that movie came out, you know, at least mid 30s. That's it was it was a poor decision. And and that also goes back to the Larson estate, which doesn't exactly engender confidence in their decision making for future productions. Okay, well, I mean, some of us were not able to see the original Broadway cast on Broadway because we were either fetuses or just being born. Don't got to rub it in, man. Don't got to rub it in. And so and so I, for one, even though I agree, it is not artistically the best movie ever made i'm extremely grateful that that movie exists and if you want to see the show performed by age-appropriate people and sung really well in good context then there is also a version out there for you which is rent filmed live on broadway and so i will say i'm i'm glad the movie exists and i i will take all the flack for it you can say whatever you want I'm glad the movie exists, and I I thoroughly enjoy watching it every single time. 
You would. Of course I would. (laughs) Uh, All right. Fair enough. Look, I want this to be good. I want Mark Platt to do this well. And whoever he ends up getting to direct it, I would not be surprised if if Tommy Kale ends up directing it, um, especially since Jeffrey Seller was one of the producers of the original production of Rent. Jeffrey Seller obviously produced In the Heights and Hamilton. So I would not be surprised if Tommy Kale directs this. And I would not be surprised if if Mark Platt's youngest son, uh, Ben, plays Mark, which I would be completely on board with you know alan at some point we've got to we've got to dreamcast this because we spend a lot of time in our dms and uh both on slack and on twitter and then i guess we've started texting each other recently too which is a weird thing we do a lot of dreamcasting so i think rent live is going to be something that we have to dreamcast at some point well i don't know why you would think texting with me is weird but i will say i am 100 percent on board with ben platt as mark uh, i think that's a great idea I, I i you know i'm a big fan of his work and so I'm behind that. Wait, I, hold I on, think hold on, hold on. You're a big fan of his work, but you've never seen a Pitch Perfect movie. I'm a big fan of his stage work. Ugh. In fact, one of my favorite YouTube videos, which I will highly recommend, is Ben Platt, Book of Mormon, Best Vibrato. Look it up. That's all I'm going to say. Vibrato. Is that how you guys say it in Canada? Vibrato. How do you say it? V- vibrato, but it sounded like you said vibrato. Oh, well, maybe I was just, I was just so passionate. I You're- was just so passionate. <laughs> all right. About it's it's a great video. Look it up. All right, so let's move from one um, Mark Platt production to another. Alan, recently you had the opportunity to speak with the legendary Stephen Schwartz about many many I things. Did. First, I think it was specifically supposed to be about Prince of Egypt, which is having its world premiere out in California later this year, uh, before it goes to like Holland or somewhere weird. But then you also asked him some questions about the Wicked movie, which theoretically, is coming out in 2019. That's right. Well, Stephen wouldn't give me any updates in terms of a filming timeline or the release date, but it has been formally announced that the movie was set to be released in 2019. What he did have to say was that uh, a script draft had been written by book writer Winnie Halsman, who of course wrote the book for the stage version, and that he had contributed some thoughts to it and that there had been notes done on it, and that Mark Platt had, of course, signed off on it, and that the next step was meetings uh, between them, Mark Platt, and the director to work on a shooting script. So that's sort of their next stage in production, and that's all he'd give away. But that brings us sort of back to what our teaser episode was about, which is uh, who do we want to see in a Wicked movie? All right. I, I think we need to do a whole But We've got a great interview coming up with Leslie Margarita, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to say, let's rehash where we were on Alphaba during our teaser episode. You decided to go with the recently married but completely inappropriate Adina Menzel for Alphaba. I went someone who is far more appropriate, even though you might not think of her as the type for Alphaba. She's got the talent and she's age appropriate. I went Dove Cameron. But since then, I've thought of another option that I actually really, really like. And, and, and I think it kind of split both both worlds because you kind of thought Dove would be a good Glenda even though I think she's got a great belt and I have no idea if she can sing soprano but what about Zendaya as Alphaba you know what I'm not hugely familiar with her work and what do you what do you do other than tweet like do you do you watch movies or tv shows or anything I mean honestly I don't watch that much television I I wait hold on hold on hold on hold on, hold on I remember you tweeting like a year ago about how excited you were to see the Billy Elliot boy shirtless in the Spider-Man movie. Did you never see the Spider-Man movie? 
I have not seen it yet. You've been tweeting about it for like a year. She's she's in the Spider-Man movie, and she is phenomenal in that movie. She is one of the best parts in the Spider-Man movie. And you I mean, here's the it. deal with the Spider-Man movie. I just want to address the situation okay. because I'm being I'm being accused of certain things and misrepresenting things. And I just want to say <laughs> that I saw the GIF and GIF and, and GIF. You, it's a hard G. It stands for graphic. I saw the GIF. I will reiterate. Jesus. I saw the GIF, and I have not seen the movie because I was moving countries, and that became a little bit hectic when the movie was sort of in theaters at the time. And so I didn't get to the movie, but I saw the GIF. And I figured that that's probably all they're going to show. And so I will get to the movie because I really do like the Spider-Man movies, especially not the most recent ones, but the ones before that, like the early 2000s. Do you know the Toby Toby Maguire Spider-Man? Who are you talking to? Do I know the Spider-Man movies? I mean, it's more I don't really know, but. I was a big fan of maybe not the, like the sequel, but the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. And so I will get to the new Billy Elliot Spider-Man because, you know, that's just that's not something I ever thought I'd get to say. Billy Elliot Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair enough. But, no, but Zendaya not, was not, very good in it. I'm not terribly familiar with her. I know she can sing. Uh, I don't know if she can sing Alphaba. Honestly, my my new thoughts on this, and I know this will never happen, but I've just been listening to... Jessica Vosk's oh. last Alpha Bus show. Those are it's so the, the audios. The audios are all over Twitter. I'm I'm not sharing them and I'm not posting them. But if you want to go find them, they're not that hard to find. Go In find. Fact, you can go check. You go. can go check our friend of show Robbie Roselle's <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. He's got them all. Oh my god! It's... And and we've been texting back and forth about it and the riffs she threw in oh on god. her last show. And honestly, I have to tell you guys, I'm like a real Adina Menzel fan. If I had to have other alphabets, mine would be Stephanie J. Block, Shoshana Bean, and uh, and Jackie Burns. Those are my girls. Yes, but, but if I had to, if, if I movie. if I only ever had to hear one alphabet, just hear one alphabet for the rest of my life, because I've ha- I've not seen Jessica on stage, but if I just had to hear one sing for me uh, and throw in little bits of Celine here and there, it would be Jessica, and I think she would be phenomenal in the Wicked movie if that would ever be a thing. So I, I'm I'm throwing that out there. I love I know Jessica. She's not- yeah, I love Jessica. I've seen her in in the Wicked tour. She's amazing, and hopefully one of our upcoming guests as well. But I mean, I think she would even tell you that the chances of her getting that part are slim to none. And Slim just left town. But I would I would be all for it. Um, don't think that's going to happen. But I, I think they're going to go with somebody with a little bit more name recognition than Jessica Vosk. Even though whoever that person is with name recognition probably won't have even a quarter of the talent that she has. I mean, does Wicked need a star to to be a yes. big box office hit? Yes. Well, I mean, neither Adina Menzel nor Kristen Chenoweth were, you know, big Broadway names. And I think that's sort of why the show continues to run with such success, is that the show is the star. And I think a lot of producers have tried to replicate that over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to establish a show as a star. Yes, but there's a difference between doing that with a Broadway show and doing it with a big budget, multi-million dollar movie. Now, obviously, the Broadway show is also obviously multi-million as well, but like to a tenth of or even a five percent of what the movie will cost. They're not going to do this without at least B-level stars, if not A-level stars doing it. Well, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, keep my fingers crossed for my Broadway divas and we'll see what happens. And, you know, we'll have to revisit this once we have 
uh, you know, more information. Well, Matt, I think we'll have to wrap that conversation up here because it's time to welcome our very first guest to the Potus Couple. She's an Olivier Award winner for her West End debut as Inez in Zorro the Musical. This actress made her Broadway debut, originating the role of Mrs. Wormwood in Matilda the Musical, where she logged over a thousand performances. She then performed in Dames at Sea on Broadway before returning to Matilda to close out the run. Regionally, she's been seen recently as Esmeralda in The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Miss Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. She's also brought her one-woman shows, All Hail the Queen and Broad, to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York. Most recently, I saw her perform her one-woman show, Rule Your Kingdom, at 54 Below, and that show was recorded and is slated for a release on Broadway Records. Let's welcome to the Potus Couple, Her Royal Highness, Leslie Margarita. I'm cheering for myself. How dumb is that? Guys, hooray! It's more a cheer for you. It's supposed to be for you. Like, hooray! New podcast! <laughs> New podcast. Like, we need and another we podcast. Jeez. It's so exciting. No, I love it. I love that you guys are doing this. And I can't believe I'm your first guest. I can't believe we have the queen on our podcast as the first guest, which is just... That's- Insane, but here we are with Her Royal Highness Leslie Margarita, Your Majesty. I thought we'd hop, yeah, we'd hop, we'd hop right into it and um, talk about your show, Rule Your Kingdom, which I spontaneously ended up at at Fifty Four Below, and it was (laughs) the best decision I have ever made. If I had to describe your show, I would say that it is a ninety-minute pep talk, and when you leave, you are going to feel better than you've ever felt. If you had a hard week and you go see Leslie Margarita at 54 Below, you're going to leave there just ready to take on the world. That's what I wanted. That's what Rule Your Kingdom is all about. I'm so glad. Yay. Rule Your Kingdom. Well, I mean, first of all, people, I call myself queen, but people think that I I actually think like I'm better than everyone and that's why I call myself queen. It has nothing to do with this. And uh, Alan, you know this because you saw my show. It has everything to do with the only thing I can control is myself and my little tiny kingdom of me. And so I started calling myself queen when I was a kid. And then it grew into this kind of like empowering thing, almost like a Sasha Fierce. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know what? I'm queen of I'm queen of me. I'm queen of what I do. I'm queen of how I feel about myself, what I say. And, and it came out of that. And so Rule Your Kingdom is really stories about my life that helped me learn to block out haters or negativity, stay on my path. And it really um, is a way 
to to actually try and inspire people to not let anyone tell you who you are or who who you should be. Um, you have to rule your own kingdom. You have to you have to be the president of you. Otherwise, someone else will take that role from you, and that's not okay. So it really is uh, the queen thing comes from a total like pep talk to myself, and it stuck. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about some of the stuff I learned at your show. Let's talk uh-huh. about your childhood. Now, you were not necessarily uh, sort of like one of those L.A. princess actor kids, were you? You had slightly humbler know. beginnings with your first performances. Can you tell us where those were? Yeah, I um, grew up in Northern California, and I grew up on a cattle ranch. And uh, for real, cattle ranch. And my sisters were older. I'm the youngest. And so I really only only people to play with on the ranch were the cows and so I would put on shows with the cows and kind of uh, tap dance around the barns and do shows with the cows, which was great because they were silent and I had all the lines. So very, that's, a very, that's a very Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland kind of thing to do. Totally. Except I was the only person. Yeah, well, you were Mickey it. and Judy. I was Mickey and Judy <laughs> and the cows. Yeah. And from, from the cattle ranch, like I started listening to country music. And then what I did was I loved what the women look like and how like flashy and bold. And I started taking dance class and my mom and dad would take me to Tahoe to see like Raquel Welch and Pia Zadora and Charo. And so my like youngest education of what it means to be a performer were these like triple threat ladies who were like so <laughs> over the top and giant hair and sequins. And, and that's truly like, that was my education. I mean, obviously, like, I loved Judy Garland and, and, and Liza and Barbara. But those women, to me, I was like, that's what I want to be. And still to this day, I, I feel like uh, from a cattle ranch, that, which is crazy. But it all kind of started with the country music there. Dolly Parton, and, come on, the hair, the hair, the boobs. And, of course, you had a lot of country music in your show, which was recorded and is slated to be released on yes! Broadway Records. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. We um, we had actually started a Kickstarter because we wanted to uh, get it out as soon as possible. And then everything kind of happened in the world these past couple of weeks. And it just felt really icky to me to ask for money right now <laughs> I, when, when people should be really giving money to relief programs. So um, we postponed the Kickstarter, but we're still going forward producing the album. So when we actually do get it out, it'll be really quick. It's ready to go. And um you know, we might Kickstarter again later on. Who knows? But we're, we are going to release it. Absolutely. Because I feel like the message is really important, especially now, especially now about being you and staying on your path and, and being true to yourself. I feel like it has to get out right now. So when did you decide to go from the Dolly Parton, you know, country <laughs> music world that you grew up in? And when did that transition to theater and musical theater officially happened did you have a first show did you see something you know that's not charo and dolly parton you know what was the oh, yeah. thing that that made you go from girl on a cattle ranch to wanting to be a broadway musical theater actress oh man uh it was annie i saw the movie of annie first i think and then when i was little and then i heard the broadway recording and in san francisco they were having open auditions for a production that was going to be in the Bay Area. And I had never auditioned for anything before. And I told my dad, I was like, I want to go to this. And my dad was like, what? You just take dance class. You don't you don't sing or anything. I was like, I'm going and I'm going to get this job. So he went down and got the application. And 
my mom remembers it really well. I guess there were like hundreds of girls with like resumes and everything. And I was basically like making fart noises on the chair, um, like squeaky chair. And I guess the director was sitting out there and kind of watching the girls. And he really wanted like actual girls, not not show kids. Um, and like hours later, I came out and I told my mom, I'm like, well, I got it. And I ended up being one of the orphans. Um, and I think I was nine. Uh, and then not long after that, I started playing Annie everywhere. Because, of course, I mean, I wasn't going to stay any of the orphans <laughs> for long. Um, no, and no, it was that. Not. And then, and then of course, I mean, of course not. And then from that, I just, I fell in love with theater. And I, I had always loved musicals. But I think about eight or nine is when I just started singing. And, and it just kind of came out. Uh, but it was definitely that. And then from Annie, I nonstop all through... I just haven't stopped doing shows. And it was, you know, at that age, it was like semi-professional, like CLOs and school shows and community theater. And it was kind of nonstop. But yeah, that was it. It was Annie that I saw in San Francisco. And then I I guess one of the girls got hurt or something. I don't know. But they were having auditions. And I don't remember a ton about it. Just that I was like, "Eh, big deal. Got it. (laughs) And you've somehow blocked out the memory of you pushing her down the stairs uh, so that Somehow. you could take over for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's so funny is what I do remember is at the audition, they were they said, Leslie, they were interested in me singing for Annie at that time. And I was like, I think like eight or nine. And I had, had never, you know, had never done anything. And they go, do you know the song tomorrow? And I did. But I remember going, can I look at the words and immediately going, well, that's probably not a good idea. And I remember thinking like, oh, those other girls are so much more professional because they knew the words they had played it in other places. And from that day on, I've never forgotten that moment of going bad move, less bad move. Never asked for the, never asked for the words for something that you're supposed to know. And it was like, I, but I remember that really clearly because I think I, I, co- I covered it, but I, you know, obviously didn't get it because they didn't, you know, you can't, I don't know. It was like a short rehearsal process. They couldn't teach the kid, whatever. But I remember that very clearly. <laughs> well, no, I I would imagine that's a traumatizing, <laughs> scarring experience. Uh, but you you know, I, I don't think pr- it was traumatizing. I think it was like, well, you know, well, <laughs> sorry, it's what you get. Yeah, well, you you talk a lot about the on social media, and I'm sure Alan can testify to this too. About maybe in your show as well about the trials of being a professional actor and the audition process and getting shows and not getting shows. Is that something you've taken from the earliest days of Annie into your professional career about being prepared and knowing what you're supposed to do. And does that still resonate with you today? Oh, totally. Um, I'm incredibly almost sometimes too much. I'm very transparent on social media. I'm really honest with people that ask me about the business because I think it's, it's truly important. I think that, that especially kids, they need to know that not everything is rosy and great and not everybody gets on American Idol and becomes a star and, and um, so it's important for me for them to know the ups and the downs because they're already going through it. And for me as a kid, I was lucky because I had amazing family that was my parents wouldn't let me be a professional kid because they wanted me to have a regular like childhood school life, high school life. And I still did, all, still did all the shows and stuff, but it was still it was important for them to give me a regular life. Having said that, like still doing shows, you still go through the rejection and as a kid, like it didn't like it didn't register with me too much. The rejection, it was kind of like, I don't understand why they're not casting me. I don't get it. And it really wasn't until I was in college that I kind of went, oh, OK, you can work hard. You can be prepared. And and that's all on you. 
be as prepared as you can be and do the best that you can, but it's completely out of my hands. And when mm-hmm. I started auditioning in Los Angeles, I went to UCLA. And when I started auditioning in Los Angeles, it was immediately brought to my attention that it's it's not about what you do. It sometimes is completely out of your hands. You don't know how a producer knows somebody or you're the wrong hair type. You know, like it just it's has nothing to do with your talent, honestly. I mean, it does. But it but ultimately it's it's a barrage of things that can get you a job. And it's amazing that anybody gets a job because there's so many people that have to agree on it and, and so many things have to fall into place. So I'm, I'm really open about that because I feel like there's just as much of a journey and a learning experience from not getting the show as there would be if you did get the show. I, I, I found that, you know, any major lessons I've learned um, has come from disappointments and I have a, on my website, I have this thing called Here Is What I Know. And I wrote a bunch of stuff that I would have wanted to know as, uh, as a young professional or even now as an adult, like things that I have to remind myself. And it's, and it's all of that. It's that you can go online, you can see on Broadway World and you see these amazing announcements of people getting jobs. And what that can do to your psyche, if you haven't booked a job in a while, you will sit on your couch and you will cry and you will eat cookies, but you have to know that every single person, even the ones that you think are so uh, successful and famous or whatever, everybody goes through that. And I feel like if you learn that young, if you expect that there will be extreme highs, but also be prepared, there's lows too. But even the lows are great because you're doing what you want to do. And you have to remember that. You also talked uh, in your show a bit about this. I just want to touch on this. Uh, that, you know, you had reservations even going into Matilda uh, that you were out living in Los Angeles. And you, but you know, by this point are an Olivier Award winner. And um, and yet you had reservations going into Matilda. At what point do you think, or has this even happened, that you sort of realize that you have reached a certain level of professional success? You know, because a lot of people look up to you. And I think you talk about this a lot on social media, that maybe people have sort of mixed feelings or don't quite know what really goes into being a professional performer. Yeah. I mean, I, I trained really hard and, and have always worked really hard on my auditions and things. And I lived in Los Angeles because my family is in California and I loved LA and always said, you know what, if if, maybe I'll go to New York and, and, and do a Broadway show eventually, but I'd fly out here and I get really, really close to shows and I just would never, I never got hired and I didn't, didn't understand why. And, and, you know, I'd get so close. So anyway, so I ended up um, going to London because I had workshopped Zorro in Los Angeles <laughs> and they took me to London. And even when I got back from London, I, I still would audition for Broadway shows and, and wouldn't get hired. And it, I had to really like take a look at, at, well, is it where I'm living? Is it something I'm doing? Is it something I can improve on? Um, just trying to take all the, you know, constructive criticism that, people can take and I just kept going and I think that's the most important thing luckily the Matilda guys had seen me in my show in London and and knew who I was so when I I flew myself out to audition for quite a few times for Matilda and so they knew who I was already which was you know which was great but I think that the lesson for me is like realizing I was a professional was pretty early on because I think you are a professional if you're just working at your craft if you're just working on your skills, you're already a professional and you're already a working actor, even if you're not employed. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> absolutely. You know I mean? like, yeah. It's, 
it, it's not the jobs that you get. It's it's what you do with your skills and and how you go about living your dream. And speaking Which of Matilda, be- yeah. speaking of Matilda, the creative team from Matilda, of course, brought to Broadway. Uh, just this past season, a brand new musical, which I know you were quite a fan of. And I'd love to talk with you about Groundhog Day, the musical, uh, starring, of course, the incomparable Andy Carl. He's unreal. Um, That was my entire Matilda team, top to bottom. (laughs) And a lot of cast members, a lot of good friends of mine from Matilda uh, were there. I had first heard songs from Groundhog Day. I did a press tour with Tim Minchin when the national tour of Matilda was about to be launched. And in the downtime, like we were just sound checking or whatever, he'd play me these songs and I was blown away. So I've been a fan of them for a, a few years now, these songs. I went with him actually, I think like the, the, not the first preview because they didn't have a first preview, but like the, the second preview. And I lost my mind because not only is, is Tim and this team just genius, the staging, Matthew's Matthew's staging, and and the Paul Keeves illusions, and just literally top to bottom, this show was unbelievable. And I remember thinking, though, I'm like, God, Tim's stuff is really wordy, and I don't know if people will get it. And uh, that's, b- but then I saw it, and I went, No, this is amazing. This is genius. And they just struggled. They just struggled to like get an audience, and I'm not sure why. I first time I saw it, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be like the hugest thing. And um, I think that's like one of the hardest working ensembles I have ever seen in my life. And Andy Carl, man, Andy Carl, what I, what he did on that stage, I was like, so in awe, so in awe. I, I saw him after, I don't know, one of the shows or something. And I, I literally couldn't speak because I, I didn't know what to say that would like, I didn't want to belittle what he had just done on stage. Cause I, I, I there's no words that are great enough to be like, Absolutely. Oh my God, what, what are you doing? I was there um, the, on the day they had announced their closing. Oh. I, and I saw the perform, I saw the show that night and <sighs> I, I hadn't listened to anything before going in because I sort of like to go see a show and just sort of hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think I just, with Tim mentioned that's sort of, sort of a great way to experience it because his lyrics are so smart and it's yeah. just amazing to hear. And I'm, I'm still blown away. I'm still sometimes at 2 a.m. I'll wake up and I'll be like, how did he get <laughs> the ladder back in that bed? And I'm still, if anyone out there knows, please tweet me because I'm dying to know how that illusion was done. Well, and I'll I tell think- you, no one will ever tell you. No, because Paul Keeve, I met the, that illusionist Paul Keeve in London, he did the illusions for Zorro. And then we opened Zorro in China together. And he um, is literally the top of what he does. He did all the illusions for ghost for them. And then he did Matilda as well. He did um, all the illusions that we had. And, and he is ironclad. We signed these agreements that no one will, no one will ever tell you because we love that man. Cause he's so good at what he does. And the stuff in groundhog day was so good. So cool. Speaking of, of Tim mentioned, I have to say if, People only know him from either Matilda or Groundhog Day. Do oh, yourself man. a favor and find his live at the O2. This man yeah. is not only brilliant and hysterical. That show he did at the O2, I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. I saw it on like Showtime for the first time like, yeah. like five, six years ago. And I knew who he was at the time, but it is so smart. And he's such an interesting dude. And, and I hope that the... 
relative poor reception that you mentioned that Groundhog Day got didn't dissuade him from, you know, writing more musical theater because he's got so many talents. He could go in any direction he wants, but I hope that he continues he could, to write yeah. for the theater. I hope so too. Um, you know, he, my, I auditioned for Matilda all in New York and Tim was doing a series called Cal- Californication in yep. Los Angeles. With David and Duchovny. With David Duchovny. Mm-hmm. And I lived in LA and they said, they were actually seeing, I think, some kind of celebi people for Trunchbull because it wasn't um, 100% if Bertie could get over here, if they could bring him. And they said, uh, would you mind meeting Tim Minchin out here in L.A.? Would you come in for, for us in L.A.? And I was like, I'm, oh, my God. Uh, and I was a fan of Tim's already. And I said, yeah, of course. Well, so I walked in and, and I just immediately zeroed in on that like giant red hair. And I was so thrilled to meet him. <laughs> but it turns out that he... His filming had was like crazy. He only had time to see one audition out of the entire day, and it was mine. He had run in, I auditioned, and then he left. And I oh, was wow. like, "What?" And I like, you know, clearly that worked in my favor. But um, I think he's so genius, and I was such a fan of his before. And it took a long time for me to kind of not be weird around him, <laughs> and 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 then transition to like now he's a friend, you know. And it, but I still have that like. We we will hang out, and I'll still be like, oh my god, it's Tim Minchin, it's Tim Minchin. You know, it's just I don't think you ever lose that. Um, but he's like the best guy, and he's so smart, and and I think that was, you know, I I can't imagine how devastating the whole Groundhog Day thing was because it was it deserved such a, a longer life, as did Matilda, I think. But but what do I know? Yeah, I I'll admit I was. I was a little late to the Tim Minchin party. I didn't really, he wasn't really on my radar until I saw Matilda in London in 2012. And I remember going back to the hotel after, and I hadn't really experienced any of his stuff. And I just went on YouTube. And I remember the first <laughs> hit that came up was his three minute song video on YouTube, which, if you haven't seen, just pause <laughs> this and go watch it. Because I think I watched it like 30 times. In a row, which because is it was it the one? Is it the uh, the dark side, like the rock video, or which one was it? The no, it's this one where he just does this three minute song. I think it's on a talk show, but I think he's done it a few uh-huh. times where he just plays a song called the three minute song, and it's just that he's going to play a song for three minutes, and there's a timer going up above him, and it, he just stops right on the dot with the button, and it's just the most hysterical thing I've ever seen, and I went, ended up in this YouTube wormhole. Six hours later, it was time to leave the hotel and go on a tour. Uh, and, you know, from then on, it's just been, you know, I've been obsessed with him. And I was so glad when he was coming back to the stage. And I think, uh, you know, maybe part of Groundhog Day, maybe not sticking around as long as Matilda maybe has a bit more of a fan base, I want to say, just yeah. based on the movie. And I yeah. think that's sort of, you know, a shame because Groundhog Day, the stage show was so different from what you'd experience watching oh, the movie. Yeah. And I think that it deserved to be its own thing. Yeah. And I think I think it's hard, you know, I think it's hard for any show in, in this day and age that's not Hamilton um, <laughs> to kind of flourish. You know what I mean? Like it it, it just is it's difficult. It's so, you know, I, I loved Bandstand as well. And I, I didn't know why that closed early. I mean, you know, I loved Dames at Sea that we did. And, and we don't it just some stuff just doesn't catch on with people. And, and you just never know. You never know. All right, real quick. You mentioned Dames at Sea, and Alan knows that I, I've i never met this person, never talked to this person, but I have just the biggest crush on Eloise Crop. She just seems oh my like God. The, the, the sweetest, 
most goofy person in the world. I just like her Insta mm-hmm. stories are always first on my mm-hmm. Instagram for some reason. And I love, I love her. I've never talked to her, but I've, uh, she's got a fan just because of how fun she I, seems. I, I, I will tell you, I will tell her, um, she, the thing that happens with like something like dames at sea is I got like this incredible f- friend out of it, which is, I call her wheezy. Um, but like she is just joy. When I met her though, she's the most. First of all, I think the best female tapper I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just the coolest, sweetest. Isn't all about the business and and just is so good at what she does and loves her friends and her family. And she's just one of those really really cool girls. Um, I I love her. I love her. I love her. I love her. Yeah. You have a, that's a good crush. That's a good crush. <laughs> I'm, I, as long as the queen approves, then I then I will continue. Crushing. The union has been blessed. <laughs> the union has been blessed. <laughs> no, let, okay, that sounds that sounds weird and that sounds creepy. Let's not okay. let's not yeah. go there yet. I've never Where, met. I, for, I forbid, I forbid you to cut that out. <laughs> uh, Leslie, speaking right, whatever. of past yeah. projects, let's talk about other stuff. Okay. Now you recently got to play one of your dream roles, Miss Adelaide. Oh. Uh, what what are some of your other dream roles? What what do you, what do you love? Because I think one of the things we'd love to do on this podcast is talk about just the things that make people love theater. What is that next thing you want to do that well, you can't get out of your head? You know, it's 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 really hard. Like <laughs> I started off and and I always did comedy, but in Los Angeles and my role in Zorro was was pretty heavy, like dramatically. So I'm a little more drawn to those roles. I and I've luckily been able to do them. I love Aldonza in Man of La Mancha. I love it so much. Yes, um, that I love is Kiss what I was going to say. Both. Oh yes, I was. Yeah, and I, it's, yes. it's literally one of my favorites. And then I got to do Esmeralda last summer at, at Music Circus. And but then I love. I've gotten to play Audrey, and I love that so much. My dream role is Avita. Is Ava? Like I really want to do it. I have to do it. Like it's totally my dream role. But then I've gotten to do. Tons of my dream roles. I've been so, so lucky. And, you know, reg- these regional theaters are phenomenal. So I- I'm I'm so happy that I get to go and and, and do that. Um, Hunter Foster, I'd never worked with him. So when I got the phone call saying he would really like for you to play Adelaide, I just screamed because I wanted to do it so badly. And to work with somebody like Hunter, who is obviously like he's an amazing performer, but he's such a phenomenal director um it was like the it was the most fun i'd had in a long time and it was you know adelaide is just like joy and fun and and so i love both i love doing like the heavier stuff which is tough but i i i love the goofy stuff too it's 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 really fun and and you know on broadway i kind of played these two like over the top crazy ladies and so i kind of like the smaller stuff it's 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 a lot easier (laughs) <laughs> it no, really is no no cooters <laughs> no there's no cooter slams and man cooter of la mancha slams and, not um, yet not, not yet correct just wait for the right director and yeah. who knows oh lord yeah i've done that one uh quite a few times i, I love that role and and yeah i would love to do aurora and kiss of the spider woman that was one of the first broadway shows oh. i ever saw um and so i with with cheetah and i was a kid and from Oh my God, since I saw it, uh, literally in, yesterday, I watched it again. I, I watched the uh, Tony Awards performance from that at least three or four times a month. If I'm like feeling a little like, ugh, 
down or whatever, I watch her <laughs> in that Tony Awards performance, and I'm immediately like, okay, keep going, keep going, because because you gotta you gotta be Cheetah, because she's everything she does is perfect, and it's and it's so good, and so if you you know, I just I love watching that number, so I would love to to do that role, but yeah, there's like I mean, who knows? Maybe I don't know what what's being written. What'll you know? I love doing workshops of stuff because that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. But definitely Vita. You mentioned you mentioned Cheetah, uh, and you said earlier about how people like look up to you, and and you know you got starstruck when you met Andy Carl or Tim Minchin. Is is Cheetah it for you? Like, is if there's one person who is the icon for you in terms of theater, is it Cheetah I mean, or is it somebody there's else? There's a couple. It's definitely Cheetah. Um, yesterday, you guys was the Broadway flea market, and I did the celebrity autograph table, and I was seated next to Bernadette freaking Peters. I almost pooped myself. I was like, I'm not worthy to be here. And I was freaking out. I was totally fangirling. She's another one. Bernadette is like another one. Um, and obviously like Bette Midler, come on. Like, uh, you know, I, I worship, Duh. worship Bette Midler, but Cheetah for me and Rita Moreno. Oh, Rita Moreno. They, these were triple threats that, that I looked up to, um, BB Newworth you know, these women that truly were triple threats and not just kind of triple threats. Def, like, you know, Cheetah, Cheetah and Rita and Liza, uh, you know, they, these <laughs> like women like did it all. And so that's what I really wanted to do. And those roles are hard. They don't really write them that much anymore. You know, Matilda was great because I had this phenomenal number out of nowhere that was like the probably one of the hardest dance numbers I've ever done in my life and hardest vocal numbers and our job was to make it look like it was no no problem. It was a piece of cake. But that was the hardest number I think I've ever done. It was just a marathon of four and a half minutes. <laughs> but we'll see. I don't know what I don't know what's next. We'll see. <gasps> Who knows? Maybe Evita live on NBC some Christmas <laughs> not long from now. I'm just I'm just gonna oh, I'm just gonna say <laughs> that just just so it's out there. there Guys can yeah. just like tweet NBC. Put it out in the universe. Tweet NBC. <laughs> I just want to no. Neil, Neil and Craig. I just want to let Neil and Craig yeah. know. No, I would love. I, I would. I would love to do a revival of Guys and Dolls. I would love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I. I adored playing that role and and didn't. It wasn't enough time, to uh, to do it. Yeah, well, I did. Oh God, I did Lady the Lake and Spam a lot, which I loved. That would be a fun one again. Yeah, I've been really lucky, like regionally, to do dream roles. Super lucky. Well, I ha- I can't let you go w- without asking some Star Wars related Whoa. questions. Uh, okay, so what's the deal with Rey? What do you think? Is she Luke's daughter? No. Is she going to turn evil? Mm-hmm. What Debatable. what is she the last Jedi? What's the, what's the deal? I think there they say there's a light side and a dark side to the Force. There is also something called a gray Jedi that is it's in the middle. And I think that's where she is. And I think that Ray is the key to finding balance in the force because the balance has to be right in the middle. And that's the gray. I think it's her. I don't know who she's descended from. I really don't. I, I'm completely stumped. I'm going for uh, it's not. Luke. I'm going for Obi-Wan. You know what? That's a, it's, I think that's a great a great one to go with. I think she might be uh, she might be like a Palpatine, like uh, like on the on the other side. Completely. Oh. I don't know. But I like that. But I definitely think that she, because they've been trying forever to find balance in the Force, and thought so many times that it was Luke. He wasn't. Thought it was Anakin. Clearly, he wasn't. You know, I think that she is. Uh, she's the key. And I can't not wait. Love it. 
Well, and the I, fact that she's like uh, like Anakin, but even more so than Anakin, came to her powers late in yeah. life. Like they always say, like you've got to start early. So that's why I always feel like. I mean, is she going to be the one that defies that, or is that you know kind of foreshadowing, like they always like to do? I know I can't wait for the last. Oh, and the last Jedi, singular or plural? Plural. I think it's plural. Okay. Because right. Luke is still a Jedi. Yes, he is. Alan right now has absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well be talking about football. I've got no clue what's going on. <laughs> Go team. I I love it though. I'm learning so much. I've I've never seen a Star Wars, but. After this, I oh, feel no. very inclined to go you have to. look this up. You have to. That, that, to me, as a child, was as important as musicals. I um, obviously was, I wasn't old enough to, to see them. Um, Return of the Jedi was the first one that I saw as a kid. And then from then on in, I've just been like a massive fan. And my husband and I had stormtroopers at our wedding. Uh, like We cut our cake <laughs> with lightsabers. It was like a formal wedding. Oh. But they escorted us into the reception. He walked down the aisle to a string quartet playing the Imperial March. Dun, like we're, dun, yeah, we're big fans. We go to the yeah. conventions. Um, huge, 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 huge to me. Love it. I, I'm, I live. I live here in Orlando, Florida, and I go to um, the MegaCon thing down here every year. And they sell these like five to seven hundred dollar lightsabers. And I'm like, I want a lightsaber. I, I, it's on my list of things I want to get, but I don't know that well, I can drop five hundred bucks on a lightsaber. I'm, I'm gonna say that we've got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised though. I mean, you know, Star Wars, I, I enjoy. It's you not- know, they were, they were gifts. My husband actually had one made for uh, my birthday, I think a couple years ago, and he had it made in pink, like Mace Windu's, like a pinky purple, uh, because he knew purple, that that yeah. would be like my, my, my thing. Um, yeah, they're, they're very beautiful and they never come, they're like, you know, they're, they don't come out much because they are very special. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. I understand. Alan no, right like, now again. Nothing. Know, He's like Mace who? I was just like Samuel thinking Jackson, if I had, what? I was just thinking if I had five to seven hundred dollars lying around, I just buy a ticket to the last Ben Platt performance of Dear Evan Hansen. But Star Wars <laughs> memorabilia is good too. No, it's not uh, memorabilia. It's not memorabilia. It's a, a way of living. Yeah, it's it's a way of living, Alan. It really is. I mean, I, I just I carry a mini lightsaber on my purse, like at all times, just in case shit goes down. You don't know. Um, I, similar, it, similarly, you know, I have I, my sonic screwdriver right next to my desk see? from uh, Doctor okay. Who. Well, I'm feeling uh, the force. I'm I'm feeling it. You, <laughs> good, and you know, I'm a big Disney fan too. So we're always always in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, huge Disney yep. fans, and I'm. Uh, gonna pee my pants if I don't get to go to the opening of Frozen. <laughs> well, I'm going to the first preview, and I'm I'm super excited. <laughs> Leslie Margarita, oh, rapid wait. rapid fire question. Okay, favorite okay. Disney movie? Go. Tangled. That is the only one I haven't seen. I I want to do it you, on stage. Man? I want to play Mother Gothel on stage so badly. Oh my. <laughs> I, yeah, that's got to happen at this point. That's got to happen. All right, I've got a rapid fire question. Okay. Your of these three, what is your favorite? Princess Diaries, The King's Speech, or Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Uh, oh, uh, you know what? You'd think it'd be Priscilla, but it's Princess Diaries. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. I would have gone King's Speech, but that's fine. Yeah, well, uh, to different strokes for different excellent, folks. Well, excellent. Yeah. 
Well, Leslie, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for sharing all of this stuff with us and being our very first guest oh, here on I'm the Podest so Couple. This was amazing glad. and so much fun. Thanks, you guys. I love, I love that you asked all those cool questions and, you know, <laughs> rule your kingdom. Rule your kingdom. Absolutely. And Leslie, tell the folks at home, where can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, on the interwebs, uh, my website is lesliemargarita.com. And then otherwise, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Queen Leslie. No E, though. It's just L-E-S-L-I. And uh, I'm on Snapchat, but I can never remember my name because someone took my name. Like some, someone actually took Queen Leslie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> If you Not have cool. Queen Leslie on Snapchat, please get in touch with her Royal Majesty I've and tried. return what is rightfully hers. I've tried. I've tried. And um, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be on the – well, I can't say that. I'm not going to be on the Broadway stage for a while, but I'll be on your small screen a lot and uh, oh. some other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not cool. That man, teases are not cool. But uh, yeah, I'll be on your um many, much much. So I'll, I'll you know I'll come back and tell you all about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, Leslie was the first guest, and she'll have to be the first return guest when she <laughs> returns to the Potus couple at a time yeah. to be determined. Sometime after <laughs> I watch Star Wars. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> Please, before I come back. Does he have to? Does he have to watch all seven, or can he skip the first three? As far no, as you're concerned, or like I, the first skip, trilogy. He, he can he can skip the uh, the prequels. You can skip the prequels. Just okay. just do the original trilogy. Okay. And then Force right. Awakens. Yeah. Right. You're fine. Yeah, that's the plan. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm writing good. this down. You're going to love it. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. I'm I'm like super nerdy, so I think I will. It's just, I think I started it with my dad once, and then I couldn't get into it like right in that moment and so i've sort of never gone back to it but before leslie margarita comes back i will have watched the original trilogy what you know matters less than the volume with which what you don't know is expressed content has never been less important so into our first episode of The Pottus Couple. Make sure you never miss an episode by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pottus Couple. Also subscribe to our newsletter on our website at www.pottuscouple.com to get an email alert whenever we launch a new episode. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Alan Henry, on Facebook at Alan Henry NYC, and on Snapchat at, at Alan Henry T.O. Okay, I've got Twitter and Instagram, and they're at BWW Matt, but I don't really post on Instagram, so just Twitter, really. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>